What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Fox News Podcasts presents the Brett Bear Podcast with Fox News Chief Political Anchor Brett Bear. Joining us, Governor Ron DeSantis. Governor, thanks for the time. Yeah, sure. You know, I ask every presidential candidate that we've had on this first question, and that is, what do you think the most important issue facing our country is? Our country's in decline. I don't think it's inevitable. I think it's a choice. Uh, but I'm running for president to reverse the decline, and that's, of course, our economic decline, the decline of our military power, the decline of our culture. And so we have it within our power over the next 18 months to, 18 months to choose a better course, uh, and I'm running for president to lead that effort. You're here in New Hampshire today. You had a press conference. You had an economic unveiling of some bullet points about your economic plan. That's right. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, when you talk about economic policy, yes, there, it involves dollars and cents. But at the end of the day, it's like, what kind of a country do you want to have? And we're a country with an economy, not the other way around. We're citizens of a republic. We're not just cogs in the wheel of a global economic empire. And so I think to have a good economy means if you work hard, if you play by the rules, you get the most of your God-given talent, you should be able to succeed in this country. You should be able to raise a family, afford a home, a car, all these different things. And we've lost a lot of that in recent years. We need to get it back. I want to talk about substance and policy. And you've got a lot of history about how you handled Florida and what your plans are. But this week, there's a lot of focus on politics and your campaign. Is this the start of a campaign that you envisioned? Well, look, at the end of the day, uh, I'm a leader. You put out a commander's intent and you delegate for people to, to do it, then you evaluate, and if it's not up to what you want, then you just make adjustments. But at the end of the day, you know, that happens all the time. It happens in governing. And the question is, are you gonna be able to do identify whatever may be getting a poor ROI, change it? So we've done that. And I think at the end of the day, no one's gonna care about what happened in early July, uh, six, seven months before the primaries. What they wanna know, the voters here in New Hampshire, is, okay, why you? You know, I could talk about, you know, my biography, for example, being the only war veteran running. I could talk about my accomplishments in Florida. We're the number one state in the country in terms of people wanting to come and then the vision for the future. And that goes with the economy and it goes with strengthening our military. All these things that are so important. At the end of the day, it's going to be about substance. Your campaign says it's resetting, says that uh, you're going to be sort of more insurgent, leaner and meaner. Um, that has happened. You've recently laid off a third of your campaign staff. It's happened before on campaigns historically. Ronald Reagan did it. Uh, John McCain did it. They went on to win the nomination. Obviously, Reagan went on to the White House. But, but what happened to you and, and your campaign? Well, look, at the end of the day, everything you do needs to have a return on the investment. And so we have a little bit of a different structure. We don't pay consultants. We hire people to work in-house. So some of the reasons we may have some more is because we're just bearing those costs. Ultimately, we'll make money off doing it that way. It's just a different model. You know, but some of the other stuff, if there isn't value in it, then I, I get changes. And then that's just the reality of what you have to do. So um, I'm not a political operative. I'm not a campaign professional. You know, you set out the vision and you execute on it. And if it's not being executed, 
you just make the course correction. But at the end of the day, a lot of those changes, it wasn't like, I mean, we could have continued on that path. You know, we outraised Biden and Trump in the second quarter, and I was only a candidate for five and a half weeks, and we spent less than President Trump in the second quarter. But still, you know, the value has to be there, and that's if I go speak somewhere, it's if we run a commercial, no matter what, and so we're just assuring we have good ROI. This is the last part about this process stuff here, yeah. but a political operative uh, who has been around the block, Ed Rollins, longtime Republican political consultant, supported former President Trump, jumped over to you and your PAC, uh, ready for Ron PAC, told the Rolling Stone this week this, quote, I don't think it's the campaign's fault at all. It's his. I think he's a very flawed candidate. He's not a particularly articulate candidate. He does not come off as warm and fuzzy. When you get into those culture wars the way that he has, the vast majority of people don't understand what they are. That may work in parts of Florida, but not these other places he needs to win. That's not what sells. It's harsh. But what do you say to that? This is from a guy who's obviously been around the block and who's been a central figure in your political action committee. Well, it's obviously nonsense. I mean, I came into a state that had been decided by one point for a generation. You've covered some of those races. I governed boldly. I governed unapologetically. I delivered big results. And we won by 20 points. You don't win a state like Florida that big if you're not doing things that are resonating. And I would push back. When I hear about, oh, culture war, standing up for the rights of parents Standing up for the well-being of children, that's not some, quote, culture war. That is central to the lives of tens of millions of people throughout this country. It is the right thing to do to stand with our kids. It is the right thing to impose indoctrination in the schools. And I totally reject being in Iowa, New Hampshire, that people don't think that those are important. They do think there's important. These families with children are thanking me for taking stands in Florida and bringing that type of vibrancy to the White House. So... You look at the polls, and I know you can look at polls until you're blue in the face, especially national polls. But the latest one, New York Times-Siena poll out today, has you down 37 points. Now, to former President Trump, 22% of the support for Trump comes from registered voters who believe that he has committed serious federal crimes. I mean... Some of these polls, How, I mean, look... I got it, but it gotta, tracks other polls. But you got to just take... Here's what I think you have to, to do. How do you turn it around is my question. Well, this is this is a state by state process. Right. So I get the national stuff. But, you know, I'm not trying to to necessarily be in some of the states that aren't going to vote until later. And so they're reflected. If you do a national poll, there's probably one or two people in that from Iowa and New Hampshire. So it's a grassroots thing. You got to go meet people. You know, there have been folks that have told folks that support me. Oh, I love the governor. He's great. Like, well, will you will you caucus for him? They're like, well, I haven't met him yet. Once I meet him, maybe I'll do it. So there's just a process you have to do in the living room. Exactly. But I'd also caution this about polls. Uh, there were polls that had me losing re-election that would get churned out. Some of the stuff is not great. And most of the polls, they did have me winning re-election, but nobody had me winning by what we knew we were going to win by. And so I think that this, it just seems in previous cycles that the volume of polls that are being put out there is so much more this time. So the question is, a good poll costs money, so, so who's putting all this out? So I think polls have become a way to shape the narrative uh, rather than to reflect accurate opinion. But I can tell you, being on the ground, heck, in New Hampshire, we did the economic part. 
I had three guys come up to me separately. They said, you know, I was with Trump, but now I'm with you. You won me over. But that's what it's going to take. People got to see you. I think most of these Republican voters, you know, they know I've done good in Florida. They know Florida's done well and they and they like me. But they want to know, you know, why me as the leader and what am I going to be able to do as president? And once we're able to fill that in, we gain support. We asked viewers for social media questions uh, for you. Uh, here's one. Uh, does the governor understand that he must win the MAGA base to his side in order to win the nomination? If so, how does he think he can do it as the almost but not quite Trump when the genuine article is still in the running? Well, look, I mean, I think, you know, I'm somebody that's more likely to actually win the election, uh, like, like a state like Georgia. Uh, I'll be able to win Georgia. I think you don't the, think President Trump could win? He's, get, he's losing pretty significant now. I think you talk to the governor there, all the political leaders, they say Georgia would be a, a Democrat favorite if he were the nominee. Uh, two, uh, I'm more reliable on policy. And three, I'm more likely to get this stuff done. Everything I promised I would do in Florida, I delivered. Most people run, they overpromise, they underdeliver. I've delivered and then some, and I think the president is former president's running on a lot of the things he promised to do in 2016. He said he was going to drain the swamp. They did not drain the swamp. He didn't fire Christopher Ray, didn't fire Anthony Fauci, let the swamp basically run amok. He said Mexico was going to pay for a border wall. That didn't happen. We see a massive influx thanks to Biden's ineptitude, but there is an open border. Uh, he said he was going to eliminate the national debt. They added eight trillion dollars to the debt in Florida. We run budget surpluses and we've paid down 25 percent of our state's debt since I've been governor. And he said every rally, lock her up, lock her up with respect to Hillary and the classified two weeks after the election. Ah, forget about it. Don't do that. So uh, I will deliver on on the things that, that we want. And I don't make promises that I don't intend to keep. I mean, if I tell you I'm going to do something and my worst critics and opponents in Florida will acknowledge the governor says he's going to do something. You can take that to the bank. He's going to do it. So just to read between the lines here to clarify, you don't believe that former President Trump could win a general election against Joe Biden? I don't think so, because I think that there's too many voters who just aren't going to vote for him going forward. I saw it in Florida in my reelection. You know, I won the first time by less than a percent, second time by 20. What, why did people vote against me in 18 but then voted for me 22? The number one reason they gave was because of Trump, because in 18 they said that um, they were voting against Trump, voting against me to vote against Trump, even though they didn't know much about me. By 22, that was there. So I think in states like Georgia and Arizona, and there's, and look, I don't put a stock in the polls, but you know, you guys talk about them. The polls that come out that put, put I beat Biden in Georgia, Trump doesn't. I beat Biden soundly in Arizona, Trump doesn't. Those are just the realities. And I also think in terms of the base, you need to have a cadre of personnel. If you want to slay this administrative state, you got to be disciplined, you got to be focused, and you got to have people surrounding you that are going to go and support the mission. I think the former president would have very difficult time getting the type of personnel to join the administration that you would need to actually bring this stuff to fruition. And you think he overpromised and underdelivered? Well, he did not drain the swamp. I mean, of course, I, he I know didn't. you went through that list, but yeah. I'm just clarifying. He, he did not meet the, the core promises that he laid out. OK, speaking, you don't like to call it culture wars or culture war issues, but three quick questions on this. Um, you've said repeatedly Florida is where woke goes to die. We've made the state of Florida the place where woke goes to die. 
We have fought woke in corporate America. We have fought woke in our education system. We have fought woke in the halls of the legislature. So in Florida, we said we're the state where woke goes to die, and we have made that a reality. Um, this week, there's been some pushback uh, to Florida's new slavery history curriculum. Slavery was, was really about separating families, about mutilating humans, and even raping their wives. It was just devastating. So I would hope that every person in our country, and certainly running for president, would appreciate that. My issue is with one sentence of the entire thing, one sentence of 200 pages, and the DeSantis team wants to make a big issue out of it. The fact that they made this a story is dumb, in my view. Now. You've doubled down, and you said anyone saying that is essentially siding with Vice President Kamala Harris or the Democrats. Is this a fight worth having? We didn't pick the fight, Brett. Kamala Harris got on a jet at taxpayer expense and flew to Florida to lie about the African-American history standards that were developed. Understood. Why, why is this important, though? One, well, you, you, you're asked about it a lot, but so you that's can't, what you're no, saying. No, I'm saying it is important. Why? You can't bend the knee to the left's lies. When the left lies and creates these phony narratives, you've got to push back. They've been doing this to Republicans for years and years. Republicans bend the knee, and it's just one thing after another. Second, we, this goes into the whole fight on indoctrination in schools. We eliminated critical race theory a couple years ago. When we did that, the media lied and the left lied, saying, you don't want to teach about African-American history, equating political activism and CRT with black history said, no, not only do in the bill, it says you've got to do all these things, teach about injustice, teach about discrimination. So these standards were born out of the fight against CRT because this is true history. It was done. And oh, by the way, we're one of only 13 or 14 states that even have African-American history standards. So it was done by black history scholars. The head was the former chairman of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. Most of them were black. If you read those standards, there is no way you can come away from that with anything other than this is the gory details. This shows the injustice. So to take something and demagogue it like that, that's bad faith. And here's the thing. This was a public process. These guys were going through it. The, people could have raised objections. No one said anything about this. They were being lauded for the job that they did by people across the political spectrum. Now Harris comes in and parachutes. What Republicans should have done is push back against her, say, you are operating in bad faith. These guys down in Florida, they didn't have an agenda. They were just trying to shoot straight. And finally, I will say, there's an AP African-American history course that we rejected in Florida because it had Marxism and gender ideology, but it had a lot of good stuff too. That course that Harris endorsed had the same provision about developing skills. And so this is something that they're making a mountain out of molehill. We know what the left does. Republicans, you cannot take that bait. You've got to fight back against these people. We'll continue right after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. And that's a very detailed answer. And you have a lot of legs to stand on in Republican circles. And we've heard from the head of that curriculum, who's very articulate about what he was thinking. But these are two very successful black Republican politicians who are telling people how they feel. So, you know, do you think that they read those standards? 
Do you honestly I think, think that Byron they, Donalds refers to one sentence? So. Okay, well, but look, I think you, you to, to take something out of context and mangle it and accept bad interpretations. Okay. I would just challenge people to read them. And here's the thing, like. Um, I feel a need to defend my state. Like, like these guys, I didn't appoint them. You know, they were there. This went to the State Department of Education. They were following state law. Like, it's wrong to, to, to demean their work. And here's the thing. If I wasn't running for president or I wasn't who I was, no one would have cared about this. I want to move on because you're right. It's not all about these culture issues. However, your campaign has focused on them uh, a little bit. Uh, here's another one. You win. Another culture issue, your campaign ran an ad that focused on former President Trump's support for LGBTQ citizens. USA Today called it bizarre and staggeringly homophobic. Log cabin Republicans called it extreme, naive, dangerous, politically stupid. Why, why did you do that ad? And, and what do you say to people that you're subtracting, not adding to well, potential all, supporters? It, it, what they hit him on was injecting men into women's competitions, which he did with his beauty pageants, and then he's expressed support for allowing men to use women's locker rooms and bathrooms. So those are the two issues. I think those are totally legitimate. I don't believe in demeaning anybody, and we have not done that since since I've been governor. Um, you know, these, these things get shared or whatever, and look, I'm responsible for it, don't get me wrong, but the idea that like I was sitting there like, oh, share this video, no, it's a rapid response thing. But on those issues about injecting men into women's competitions, that's wrong. Uh, we've taken a strong stand with respect to women's athletics, protecting women's sports. We've also protected women's bathrooms and locker rooms. And at the end of the day, you know, we can't go down this road where there's 37 different genders. There's not true. There's two. Uh, and I do think we have a difference of opinion on that. After Roe v. Wade was overturned, the issue went to the states. Abortion became a bigger issue in the 2022 midterms than really anybody thought it was. They thought it'd be big, but not as big as it was. Um, and now beyond, some of your top supporters um, had issues with you signing a six-week abortion ban in Florida, uh, suggesting that 15 weeks maybe is more defensible, more politically viable in a general election. Well, why did you do that? Were you trying to get to the right of former President Trump on that issue? I am pro-life. I've always been pro-life. I ran as being pro-life. I've always said I supported the heartbeat bill. Uh, the 15 that we did was prior to Dobbs. This was, was after Dobbs. And this is still all being litigated under Florida's constitution. We've got a case going on now. So it'll take some time to play out. Well, you support but, it. But at the, I, I signed the bill. At the yeah. end of the day, you know, when there's a detectable heartbeat, is that a life or not? And does that deserve protection? And in Florida, you know, the legislature put protections in for rape, incest, life of the mother, all that stuff, which I know have been difficult issues for a lot of people. But at the end of the day, you know, when there's a detectable heartbeat, the, the right thing to do is to protect that life um, and welcome that child into the world. I think we're better off when everybody counts, when everybody has um, an opportunity. Now, I also acknowledge and, and, and understand that in my region of the country and down in the southeast, it's a little bit different than where we are up here in New England. I don't think New England states would probably, um, you know, adopt something along the lines of a heartbeat so bill. So they want to know what you're going to do as president. Well, what I'm going to do as president is a couple of things. One, um, you know, we are going to lead as a, a pro-life, leading a culture of life, using the bully pulpit. We're not going to fund it with tax dollars. The military's abortion tourism policy we're going to eliminate. Uh, we are going to assure that we have conservative justices appointed to the Supreme Court who are going to respect the Dobbs decision. And we will absolutely be able to block, if there is a Democratic Congress, their attempt. They want to impose abortion on demand up until birth 
uh, nationwide. Uh, and that is a horrific practice. And so we would not let that happen. You mentioned the Pentagon's policy. Do you support Senator Tommy Tuberville from Alabama blocking the military pr promotions for uh, Pentagon uh, policy, abortion policy? I do, because I think the Pentagon's violating the law. Uh, they're basically being told by the Biden administration to do this. This is not consistent uh, with longstanding U.S. law. And I think it plays into a larger problem that we've seen in the military. You have a lot of civilians forcing them to en en engage in, in political and culture issues uh, that are detracting from mission. This is one of them, but the pronouns and the drag queens and all those other things. So we need to get the military back on, on focusing on mission first. And I think if we can do that, you can solve the recruiting crisis that you see. I mean, you were in the military, you know how it works, but there's 250 stalled military promotions because of this. And the Pentagon's saying it's really doing damage. Well, at the end of the day, though, the Pentagon, largely because of civilians telling them to do this, uh, they're the ones that pick this by violating the law. And so I think at some point, you know, we talk about the executive branch and the administrative state. Part of the ways that you make sure they're within their bounds, and look, the military hasn't been as bad as, as DOJ, FBI, EPA, all those others, but Congress is the one that does oversight. They have to ensure that they're following the law, and so I think that standing up for that's the right thing to do. Okay, I'm going to wrap up this section with your supporters who worry that these wedge issues are hurting you instead of the focus of you did win all those counties, including Dade Dade uh, in a historic election. With the same stuff. I have not changed at all. Brett. So I'm ran, just telling you what I hear. No, I know, but here's the thing. And you hear it too, I'm they, sure. They, they raise, well, here, so I have, there have been donors that tell you, don't do this, don't do that. I do what I think is right, okay? I am not here to please donors. I have a lot of great supporters. We've been able to raise a lot of resources. It's part of the game, but at the end of the day, you just got to look in the mirror and do what you think is right for the right reason. Let the chips fall where they may politically. But here's what I would say on some of this stuff. When you talk about parents' rights, when you start talking about dealing with progressive prosecutors, which I removed one in Florida, when you start talking about a lot of those core things, that has huge support amongst the public. The idea that, that those are somehow minority positions, those are just not true. And we've been talking about a lot of other stuff. We just did the economic policy today. And I want to talk led, about that. We've led the nation uh, in education reform, school choice, all those different things are very important. We've talked about military readiness. And so we're doing a lot of that. I think it's just people kind of want to caricature. You think it's a media problem and not a focus problem? Well, I, th I think it's, I think people, I can give a speech and, and do five different things and they'll say all he talked about was one thing, which just isn't true. So it's fine to say you should never talk about it. I disagree with it because I think at the end of the day, when people say, take woke, for example, some people say, ah, don't worry about it. What is it? All this stuff. First of all, you have to be rooted in the truth. Don't tell me a man can get pregnant. I'm not going to accept that. But also when woke overtakes policy, it does affect people's lives. Things like ESG taking over the economy, going after our energy industry, that will make the average person poorer as a result. When it overtakes education, that leads to indoctrination. I think students end up dumber. And then when it overtakes criminal justice, like San Francisco, Chicago, you get a Soros prosecutor. This is all driven by ideology. And what happens? Those communities have frayed because crime's gone up so much. And so there's not a single jurisdiction in this country 
governed by leftist ideology that has had success. San Francisco, LA, California, Illinois, people are leaving those places because the ideology is destructive. So it's an important battle that we have to win. And you make the direct linkage. I wanna talk about your top issue that you talked about today here in New Hampshire. How do Republicans effectively campaign on a weak economy if the unemployment rate remains low, inflation starts coming down, maybe it's not completely tamed, and we do in fact reach what they call a soft landing. How do Republicans capitalize that on that if a strong economy or semi-strong is the case heading into the election? Well, year? first of all, I think it's important to point out nationally, whatever you say about the quote strength, a lot of that's driven by Florida and Texas and the red states. Let's just be honest. We have way more people employed in Florida than we did prior to COVID. That's not true uh, with a lot of the blue states. And so as Biden would uh, hype all these job gains over the last couple of years, it's like Florida and Texas and a handful of states are really driving it. And so I think we've been able to push back effectively. Uh, but even if inflation, quote, is less, those prices are not going down. So you have a situation now, middle-class family affording a home is prohibitive. Uh, if you look at the median income compared to the median home price, there's a bigger gap in that than there was when the financial crisis hit after the big housing uh, increase in 2006 and seven. Cars are becoming less, less affordable. People feel that squeeze, and it's because Biden, he's more interested in pursuing his ideological agenda through the economy. I mean, when he's attacking American energy, that is not good for the average person. It's not good for businesses. It's not good for national security. But they care more about that agenda than they do about the well-being of middle-class families. And so that's not changing. That's going to be the case. And I think I also, ultimately I have a good record to be able to say, you know, whose economy has led the way? over these past many years, and Florida's has led the way. Well, about Florida, even with no state income tax, Florida has become one of the most expensive states to live in. Why is that? Well, partially because we've had massive inflation through the whole economy. We're not immune to that, of course. Second thing is, is demand. We are the number one place that people want to move to. There were times where Homes would go on the market in the last few years, and literally the same day, they would be gone. People coming in, they can leave California, sell a three-bedroom, two-bathroom two, uh, house for a million dollars, and buy a twice the size at Florida for less, but that still causes you know, the prices to go up. I think that these interest rate hikes have been devastating because it's locking in homeowners who probably would sell because they know if they buy another home, their interest payments are going to be so much more. We've actually, though, we just did a big housing bill in Florida that I signed a few months ago, you're seeing capital move in. For us, it's just increasing the supply because the demand has been so torrid that, um, you know, it's, it's in some ways it's a function of our success, uh, but the demand is real um, and we need more housing and we're going to get it. There is a problem with home insurance and that's a, some people call it a crisis in Florida. Um, property insurance jumping 40 percent or more this year. Um, about 200 percent since you took office. There's some lawmakers calling it a major crisis. What do you do about it? What are you doing about it? Yeah. So first of all, one, the general inflation has hurt that because it's twice as expensive to repair a roof as it was five years ago. Uh, second, you know, you have issues where we've had three major hurricanes since 2017. That has hurt the market. So those are things, obviously, for, from a state government, it's going to be hard to do. The third one, though, is 
Our market had been 8% of all property claims and 78% of all litigation nationwide. And so we've done bills in 21, 22, and then this year uh, to get those incentives out to stop the junk lawsuits. What that is now doing is companies like State Farm have said, you know, we're here. Uh, you're seeing other companies interested now in expanding. The reinsurance was supposed to go up uh, at a record. It did go up, but it didn't go up as much because of those reforms. So capital is forming. The market is better in that regard, but there's no way that you can have inflation be as high as it is in three major hurricanes and have rates go down. But we have taken action over many years uh, to be able to do it. And we just did a program, $100 million. Floridians get grants to make improvements to fortify their home, and then they get a reduction in rates. All right. Foreign policy. Here's a, a tweet. Uh, John asks, how does he, the governor, plan to support Ukraine if he's elected? And I guess I add, or do you? So here's what we need. We need a sustainable peace in Europe without rewarding Putin's aggression. We don't want this to be an issue for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Well, how do you get there? The Europeans need to do their fair share. There are allies, their economy, Europe's economy is 10 times uh, the size of Russia. And so I think they need to step up. I think the fact that we have drawn down our ammunition to crisis levels, some of our weapon stocks, we have other contingencies we have to be worried about. So as, as president, I would prioritize the China threat first. I would have more resources and power in the Indo-Pacific. I would also deal with issues in our own hemisphere, starting with our border and some of the threats there. And then I'm willing to work with the Europeans. But I think the goal needs to be, you know, let's bring it to a sustainable conclusion to do this for another three years where nothing changes on the ground. A lot of people are going to die. A lot of weapons are going to be are, are going to be used in that. So they're doing this offensive on the other side of that. You know, I think the Europeans really need to take the lead. We'll help to try to bring this in for a landing. Early in your campaign, when you were asked about Ukraine, you used two words. You said territorial dispute. Your opponents jumped on that. And for them to sit there and say that this is a territorial dispute, that's just not the case. This is not a territorial dispute. Uh, Vladimir Putin is not a genius. Rolling tanks and artillery into a free country, mercilessly killing their people and taking their land by force, Governor DeSantis, is not a territorial dispute. So the question is, do you stick by that characterization? Well, well, first of all, they're taking that out of context. The initial invasion was for Putin to, to decapitate the Ukrainian government and install a Belarus-style puppet regime. He failed at that, uh, and he's not going to succeed at that, and that's a good thing. So the fight is really on that far eastern flank of the border region between Ukraine and Russia. So the result of that, look, if I could snap my fingers, I'd put Russia out of all those places, but the result of that is not going to be the viability of the Ukrainian government. And so in that sense, um, it's not going not to topple Zelensky. They are fighting over that border region. They read that to mean that somehow I said Putin didn't invade or had a right. Of course he invaded. I said that at the time. He doesn't have a right to do it. But the reality is that's where the fighting has been. Do you think a weakened Russia helps the United States? Yes, I do. I mean, I think one of the things we're going to do is when we do our energy policy, see, one of the problems I have with Biden, he invited this. 
with his weakness. The Afghanistan debacle saying, oh, you can do a small invasion. It's not going to be a big deal. But his energy policy has helped sustain Putin's war machine. We open up domestic energy. That's going to lower the price of oil. That's going to hurt Putin. The other thing that Biden's done He's given relief to the Iranians. They're like the number one benefactor for Putin. I'm going to turn the screws on the Iranians. That's going to dry up support for him. Would Ukraine be allowed to join NATO under uh, President DeSantis? So here's, what, here's how I view NATO is um, the countries need to do their fair share, right? And so to just bring in a country... All that it does is add obligations to us. I would, say, I would say, what are the benefits? And right now, none of the countries, or I mean, some are, but not all the countries are meeting their obligations. So I think what we need to do in NATO is like, okay, what's the vision of NATO? Clearly, they want to be a check against Russia, just like they were the check against the Soviets. Most of those NATO countries, though, don't agree with us necessarily on China. Some do. The Brits do. The Poles do. But I don't think France and Germany agree with us on the China threat. So I think we've got to figure out what do we want out of NATO, and then everyone needs to do their fair share. So if Russia moved on Finland... President DeSantis stand up for Article 5 and move well, military? Look, we are obligated um, under that uh, to, to, to meet those obligations. And that's why I think you know, we got to be careful about adding new obligations to what we would have to respond to. Would you be willing to pressure Ukraine to cede some territory to Russia if it meant stopping this war? So, look, at the end of the day, it's not for us to say give or not give. I think the, the reality is, is uh, we want a sustainable peace in Europe. You're not going to have a sustainable peace if, if Russia is making out like a bandit, because that will sell Putin that he can do more in the future. But on the same time, I mean, are you going you have a, a lot of things that have happened over a decade there that, that they can work out and make judgments for themselves. You but know, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be for me to, to, to tell them to do that. The former president says he can end it in 24 hours. Well, he also said that Mexico would pay for a border wall and all these other things. So clearly that's not going to happen. I think that you need to bring leverage to the table. You know, I've talked about the energy in the Iran, what I would do to squeeze Putin. I think getting the Europeans to be more forward on it would also be good. But it's not just going to happen with a phone call. So you've called Putin a war criminal. Um does that mean you think he should be jailed or executed? Well, I was asked in the context of the ICC. We're not parties to the International Criminal Court. We will not be. It's not something that, that, I, that I support. However, if you invade another country, that is a violation of the laws of war. It just do, is. Do you think you could negotiate with a war criminal? You have to be willing to negotiate with unsavory people. This world is not all peaches and cream. You've got to be very mindful of what you're walking into. You've got to understand that some of these people out there, I mean, some of these guys are killers. And you just have to understand that. But to say that you're not going to deal with unsavory people, I don't think that that's the way it's gone. I mean, you know, Ronald Reagan met with all the Soviet uh, leaders, and, and that's just what you have to do. I mentioned you served in the military. You also served at Gitmo. Uh, how has that influenced your U.S. foreign policy? Well, one thing I noticed was how Gitmo was portrayed in the popular press was so much different than when you'd actually go down there. When you go down there, and there were different levels of, of security for different detainees, but it was basically like where, where Khalid Sheikh Mohammed was. It was basically just a, a maximum security prison. It was very professionally run. These guys were not there abusing the detainees every day, but that was kind of what was put out there in popular press. And so both being in Gitmo and being in Iraq and then seeing what, how the press was portraying what was happening in Iraq versus what was actually happening on the ground, I saw a major gap 
in, in, in what was being the narrative and the reality. And so that just, that's honestly helped me in politics because I understand, I mean, I think what's going on, on the ground in New Hampshire is different than some of the narrative uh, politically. In terms of national security, I would say Iraq probably had more of an impact on me just because, you know, we're there in Al-Ambar province. You know, I was attached to Navy SEALs and they're going after the Al-Qaeda in Iraq. And every time they were on a mission, they succeeded, no problem. But the larger mission was to create a democracy in Iraq, which was outside the capability of the U.S. military to do. You could kill a terrorist 100 percent, but establishing a rule of law and thinking that they wanted to have a Western style government, that was something that was not necessarily in the cards. So I, I think I've, I've developed just a skepticism of things like nation building and extra you know, international social engineering. Last hypothetical, China invades Taiwan. It's a real question about what the U.S. does. What is President DeSantis? Do? So my policy is going to deter is going to be to deter that from happening. I mean, we're going to have a strategy of denial so that China is not going to be able to pull the trigger on that, uh, given the amount of hard power that's in the region, given the levers we can pull on the economy. But that's kind of the main crux of our strategy to be able to deny that. I think China, I think Taiwan is an ally. I think that Taiwan is of significance to our country, of course, both militarily, diplomatically, and economically. And our goal should be to stop. China respects hard power. If they don't think that, if they think the costs are going to exceed any potential benefits, they are not going to do it. I do think under Biden, we're on a course where in the next five or 10 years, they probably would be able to take it. If we change course, I think we can prevent it. We'll hear more after this. Former President Trump has been critical of you for a number of different things on a number of different fronts. But interestingly and specifically about your handling of COVID. Here's what he said in my recent interview. I told all governors, you do what you want. You can shut it down or not. Florida, by the way, he shut it down tight. No highways, no beaches, no this. But then pushed then he back pretty up. hard. He opened know, up. But, but is it fair to criticize him on that? Sure. He was credited for sure. how no, Florida no, dealt with COVID. Because he has better PR than other governors, but other governors did a better job than Ron DeSanctimonious. He used to say the opposite. Let's just be clear. You go back a year or two, he would say, what a great job I've done in Florida, how I'm one of the country's great governors, uh, how Florida is such a great state. He always said that for years and years until about three days before the midterm election. Then he started to attack me. And I think it's because he saw that we were going to win a big victory. And I think he viewed me as a political threat. So now he's flip flopped on all that and is trying to say we did a bad job. I fought his administration to keep our state open, to have kids in school. Fauci, the task force, all those people, they were sending me missives. And the, the press in Florida made a field day about this. They'd send me missives to my office July of 2020, close businesses, no schools. Uh, fall of 2020, close businesses, impose a mask mandate. Even January of 2021, right before he left office, his task force was telling us in Florida to close. And so he didn't have control over his own government. He didn't have control over Fauci. Fauci ran that government his last year in office. Trump should have fired him. He did not do that. He elevated Fauci and he made Fauci an international celebrity. And here's the thing. I fought back against it. And you know all the flack that I got from the media during that. And people fled to Florida because we were free. And I was happy to, 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 make, that, to make that stand. But the reality is Fauci's policies were adopted in a lot of the blue states. Kids were locked out of school for a year. You had businesses shuttered for good, small businesses. There Should was a, the U.S. have locked down at all? No, no. It was a catastrophic mistake to do that. Sweden did it right. Italy and Britain did it wrong in the United States. Trump 
would criticize Sweden at the time. He said they were making a big mistake, that they had all this death. That's not true. Sweden had one of the lowest pandemic death rates of any country. They kept things going. The CARES Act, $2 trillion. Thomas Massey was the only one that stood up against that. Trump said Massey should be ejected from the Republican Party. Massey said, if you do this, you're going to pay people not to work, you're going to screw up the economy, and you're going to cause inflation. That's exactly what happened. So here's the thing. Back at that time, there was a lot of uncertainty. I get it. But knowing what we know now, that was a catastrophic mistake, and we can never let that happen to our country again. Did the vaccine work? It didn't stop the spread. I can tell you in Florida, all these people took it. And then you had you had a wave, a Delta wave. You had other Omicron waves. And here's the thing. There would be these celebrities and these left wing people. They would take the vax. Then they would get infected and they would tweet. I've just been infected with COVID. I'm so thankful for the vax. No, no, no. If you take an MMR vaccine and you get measles, you don't thank the vax. You get upset that the vax didn't prevent it. We were told if you take the vax, you will not get COVID. That is not true. And now for CDC to say they should be doing annual boosters like a flu shot, there is not sufficient data uh, to support that. One of the things I'm going to do, we're going to bring a reckoning to the medical swamp in D.C., CDC, NIH, FDA. They failed the American people. Uh, you're going to see big changes. You raised eyebrows when you said Robert F. Kennedy could be a part of some task force or head up the CDC. Well, and I didn't say that. Head you said, up the, or be a part of. I, I, well, I was asked about should he be VP, and I pointed out, look, conservatives agree with them on Fauci and against the lockdowns, and we need more Democrats to stand up and admit that that was wrong. But I said he's liberal on a lot of issues. Of course, I'm not going to be VP. I was like, let him go after these organizations. That didn't necessarily mean from an appointed position. And certainly the CDC, we're going to have either a MD or a PhD in all those positions. You ever get sick of hearing Ron DeSanctimonious? Not really. I mean, like at the end of the day, it is what it is. I don't uh, I don't think a lot of that stuff really tracks with um, with the voters. He, he, he says it because you weren't loyal to him and he stood up for you when you needed him in an election and you wouldn't have won because. of it. So here's the thing. Um, I'm loyal to my family, the Constitution and the good Lord. Politicians don't deserve fealty. They have to earn support. I fought for him on the Russia collusion. I was one of only a handful of people very early on to publicly go out and defend him. And I did that for years. And yes, he supported me for governor, but then I supported him for reelection. I raised him more money than any elected official. We helped deliver Florida. Remember, his people were saying, oh, if we don't win Florida, it's all the governor. We're relying on the governor. Well, we won it. Uh, and so we were there for him. Then three days before my reelection, I've never done anything to the guy. He starts attacking me and does this. And so why would he be doing that? And so I don't think the, I think the whole thing is 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 not the way people view this. You have to earn the nomination. You know, I'm running because I think our country's in decline. We need to reverse it. I think I'm the only candidate running who can win the primary, win the general and then actually deliver on all these things over a period of eight years. And so I feel an obligation to, to run. You've said you're going to show up in Milwaukee for the debate. That's right. Uh, August 23rd. And there are a number of people who are qualified. You're among them. Uh, so is the former president. He says he hasn't decided whether he's going or not. In fact, he moved today on his Truth Social and said, maybe all of the other candidates should debate, and I'll determine who might be a vice presidential candidate. 
you got to earn this nomination. Uh, nobody's entitled to it. Uh, you got to go work. And I think the debates are part of that process. I think being on the ground in Iowa, New Hampshire is a big part of that process. And so you'll see me showing up in all these places. We look forward to being able to speak directly to the American people. And I think it'll be a, a very worthwhile endeavor. People like New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu here have been critical of some of you all who are running, um, saying, barring a few, they're not going directly after former President Trump, that you're not taking him head on. How do you deal with that criticism? Well, look, I mean, I think, uh, and, I, and I, think I like Chris, and I think he's been, uh, been great in this process. Some of the candidates that are doing Trump, it's more personal for them. You know, they're attacking him on personal stuff. That's just not my cup of tea. You know, I'm a leader. I'm running for, for you. I'm not running for me. So it's not about me. And I also think some of the criticisms of Trump from the left to me, those don't land. I mean, you know, I've been critical when he when he attacks me. I hit back on substance on things like, wait a minute, you said you were going to eliminate the national debt. You added eight trillion dollars to the debt. You know, you said you were only going to appoint the best people. You know, you actually asked him about that in an interview. And yet all these people that he hired, even he admits now that they weren't good appointed. So I think all that's fair game. But I'd be very careful. Do not accept uh, left wing media talking points to try to attack any Republican. I don't think that's effective. Ben said stories that he's using political funds to pay legal fees and the legal troubles uh, that may lie ahead. Do you think that that factors in for the former president in this primary? So it's interesting. I mean, that was a lot of money for legal. The second biggest expense was almost $25 million attacking me. And he started attacking me before I was even a candidate. I'm down in Florida. We're uh, doing win after win. I mean, Second Amendment, school choice, tort reform, just a massive string of successes. And he's running commercials, you know, you know, smearing me. And I'm like, is that really the best use of money? We want to be using that to face Biden. But here, I think just the meta thing, two things. One is I am going to end the weaponization of government, DOJ, FBI, IRS, all these agencies. You're going to have a new FBI director on day one. We're going to clean out the DOJ. I don't have confidence in the DOJ or the FBI right now. And I know most Republicans don't. And we've got to fix that. So that's just first thing. And they will get that with me. Second thing is, if this election is about Biden's failures and our vision to get the country in a better spot, we are going to win. If the election ends up about all these other side issues and it becomes a referendum on Trump, Biden's going to be in the basement again, hiding out, no scrutiny. And I think he's going to get away with it again. Do you think Republicans are doing the right thing, focusing on Hunter Biden in this investigation? Breaking news today is that his business partner, Devin Archer, said allegedly that some 20 times then Vice President Biden was on a speakerphone talking about the businesses. Your reaction to that and the focus on this investigation? Well, this is why we say there's two standards of justice. If Hunter were a Republican, he'd be in jail by now. You look at all this smoke, and yet the FBI, where's the search warrants? Where's the, the, the grand jury? Where's the aggressiveness that they've shown going after some Republicans? You just don't Including see it. Including former President Trump. Including former President Trump. I mean, compare how they handled the Mar-a-Lago. They went through everything they could to get any piece of information. They are not doing that with Hunter. Of course, they didn't do it with Hillary back in 2016. So we look at that. But look at all the possible corruption. I mean... Hunter, he's selling paintings for over a million dollars. You know, my six-year-old daughter does better paintings than him. Maybe we'll put ours up and see what kind of things she can fetch. I don't tough, think we're going to get a million dollars on it. Is it tough, though, to make that case about 
um, two-tiered justice and how it's egregious how they're going after people. You said Republicans, and I mentioned former President Trump, when in Republican circles, the former president, some of them, he is a sympathetic figure in this case. Is it tough to run against that? Well, look, I mean, I think that on the one hand, uh, how he was treated in the collusion was a total disgrace. And these were people in the intelligence community, law enforcement, DOJ, who were basically trying to nullify the 2016 election. We've had abuses of power in my lifetime. You know, that has got to be the top of it. And so everything I see, and I think a lot of Republican voters have seen since then, because there's never been accountability for it, uh, we see it all through that lens. At the same time, I think our voters look and say, Yes, we know that needs fixing. The question is, who's in the best position to actually be able to win the election and get that done? And I'm in a better position to do that. Clearly, we will go in there and we will make all of this stuff better very, very quickly. And, you know, look, Donald Trump was president for four years. This problem got worse under him. He did not succeed in draining the swamp. Two more quick things. Joe Biden is 80. Donald Trump is 77. Senator Dianne Feinstein, who's 90, and Senator Mitch McConnell, 81, both had issues last week that raised some questions about their fitness for office given their advanced ages. Nikki Haley is calling for mental competency tests for politicians over the age of 75. Do you agree with that? Look, I think voters can sort it out, but I do think we need an energetic executive as president. We need somebody that's going to get in there on day one and spit nails and not look back. You only have a finite period of time to get things done. You know, two terms, eight years. But as you know, the way the political cycle works, there are times when the iron's hot, when you first get in, maybe you get reelected. You've got to be able to capitalize on all of this. And so with me, they will get somebody in there who's going to run uh, ragged. We're going to have the media. They're not going to be able to keep up with us. The left's not going to be able to keep up with us. And also during the campaign, I am not going to let Biden get away with being in the basement for the campaign. We're going to run him ragged around this country, and we are going to show a huge contrast with energy and vitality versus somebody who, you know, really is not fit to do the job. Should there be age limits? Should there be term limits? There's obviously two terms for a president, but should there be term, term limits? Well, there should definitely be term limits for members of Congress. Uh, we have it in Florida with our legislature. It works so much better. People say, oh, if you have term limits, the lobbyists are going to run the show, the staff. They already run the show. It would not get worse in that regard. So, yes, do term limits. If you did the age limits, you'd need to do it so you're not targeting, you know, candidates running right now. What's the best advice you've received about running for president or being president? Well, I think at the end of the day, uh, probably the best advice I have, because I can kind of, you know, use governor as a reflection is, you know, make sure you have people around you who believe in the mission and are going to be willing to leave it all out on the field because uh, the knives come out. Uh, that town does not want you to succeed. The media, the left, the bureaucrats. And so you've got to have that core group of people who are doing it based on conviction, not because they think they're going to get ahead in life. But why do you want it? Why do you want to be president? Because this country's in decline, I think it can be reversed, but it's not going to be reversed if we're content with just managing the decline. Uh, we've got to give this country a new trajectory and a new birth of freedom. I think I'm the only guy that's, that's running that's able to get that job done. Uh, some people say, oh, well, you could have run later in life. I'm not running to be president. I'm running to do things as president. And now's the time the country needs the help. Your family's okay? This is a tough process. So it's, it's interesting. My, my wife um, launched the, the Mamas for DeSantis in Iowa with Governor Reynolds, and uh, she started getting attacked. 
by MSNBC, all this other thing. And I'm just thinking to myself, you know, this is a mother of three, you know, great first lady, a can- breast cancer survivor, inspirational figure. She's adored in Florida and they're trying to smear. Her. But then she and I talked about, you know, they're not going after the other spouses. Why are they going to? Because she's effective, because they know she's striking a chord on these mother's issues and these parents issues. And so we view it as honestly positive feedback in the sense that that people do see her as a threat. And I'll tell you, uh, she's going to be great on the campaign trail and she will be a great first lady. Governor DeSantis, we really appreciate the time. We'll follow you on the campaign trail and we'll see you in Milwaukee. Thank you. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox.